Hello and welcome to Rebel FM episode 235. My name is Anthony Gallegos. Joining me is Arthur Geese. Hello. Matt Chandernay. Hello, via the internet. And the ghost of Mitch Dyer. Mitch Hi, is guys. <laughs> yeah, Mitch is here. Wow. Wow, that was creepy. I play video games. That's yeah. what Mitch sounds like, right? I don't even Am know right, what Mitch guys? is doing, but he's Am enjoying right? his life. <laughs> uh, Mitch is hopefully packing because he's going to BlizzCon. Oh, shit. That's what he would like you to play. Wow. Right. BlizzCon is this week. I keep forgetting that, and then people keep reminding me, and then I feel <laughs> stupid. I keep but. forgetting, too. I mean, I'm, I'm curious what they're even going to show. Obviously, Warlords of Draenor is next week. Yeah, that's out. Um, Nobody plays video games. Is that is it out? I thought it was out next week. I mean, it's out next week. Oh, yeah. So there's out no next point week. in showing so it's it like, BlizzCon. It's like, yeah. So I'm curious what at BlizzCon... I mean, I guess at BlizzCon they could announce the next expansion. Or oh no, there's I no don't. Way. I don't know. Like I'm just, or maybe a release date finally for uh, whatever it's called, Heroes of the Storm. Star I don't Death know. Uh, we better get a fucking Legacy of the Void release date. Sure, for it's sure. What we better get. <laughs> so um, help me, they need to finish that fucking series that they announced in like 2007. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When that game was announced, I remember it because I still worked with Scooter at One Up, and yeah. Scooter flew to yeah. France for the reveal event. It was. So. It wasn't in France, right? It was like in Korea. No, it was I in thought. France. For whatever reason, it was their annual thing. It was in France. No, no way. And he was in I Paris. I have to look this up. And, but uh, yeah. Um, anyways, well, to, to be fair though, Anthony does get Korea and France mixed up like all the time. They're very similar. It was very confusing during the World Cup when we would talk. It about was, it. Uh, you know, because both of them went through an inner, an inner country war: northern France <laughs> and southern France. Just to <laughs> right. Out. <laughs> the demilitarized zones are very similar to one another uh so yeah video games yeah. development of starcraft 2 was announced on may 19 2007 at the blizzard worldwide invitational in seal oh, south korea you, you're a google jerk huh i knew it was should, it's starcraft a gurk of course it was word. announced Go- in korea google jerk you're a gurk i'm a gurk yeah huh. i don't even you know does that mean that I was correct? <laughs> I don't even know how to make any sense of why I mixed those two up. I mean, I'm sure that there was probably something later that year. Well, and it might have been, there could have been a totally separate event. I mean, it could have been for some kind of Euro announcement or something that he went. Who knows? Hmm. I don't remember now. But whatever. Yeah. Anyway. It would be nice yeah. to have like the third installment of that, even though I still haven't played the second installment. The second's really good. It's a really good RTS. I finally got through the second one, yeah, and it's, it is very fun. Uh, yep, I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, so, video games that came out. What? Uh, yeah. You played some Advanced Warfare. Well, Sunset Anthony. Overdrive also came out, but we talked about that before. But just well, so I mean, everyone knows. Have you finally started playing it in earnest? No, because I was busy with the, the design test that I've been doing. But, uh, uh, so you're a failure. I uh, am a failure. <laughs> um, but I, but I, I will say I think I'm a mission away from completing Advanced Warfare at this point. Uh, so, I could tell you, like but I won't. Hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm like five hours into it. So. Are you playing on normal? Yes. 
just for now. It's it, probably about a five and a half, six hour it game. It feels on like the last or the second to last mission. You know what I mean? Well, since, so. I, since I haven't played it yet, and it does look really cool, and people are abuzz about it, um, how is the single player campaign? It's real good. It is really fun. It's uh, that, that's it, and, like you know, nice to hear after so many I feel like uh, kind of successes <laughs> and and abject failures. It's pretty interesting because I feel like, you know, obviously I play all of them every year, and yeah. so this one comes out, and they've obviously changed up the the way a lot of movement works with the exosuits on some mm-hmm. levels because you don't get the double jump exosuit on every level. Hmm. You there's different exosuits with like three core abilities. Um, and so, obviously, the levels where you do have the double jump, they generally try and do the level to be, like, made to optimize that. Sure. You know what I mean? Though let's they... be real. I mean, the only exosuit you really want is the double jump anyway. Yeah, although I will say they gate you a lot, you know, like, as far as, uh, you know, they, they, they'll put things up, like, leave a mission area, because, you know, that, that was, like, one of the ways they combat the fact that they give you this definite vertical movement ability, but how are they going to keep you from breaking the game left gotcha. and right? So, um, but and yeah, the, it is on Xbox 360 and PS3 as well. Although development of that version was handled by High Moon, and there are some differences. Uh, uh, but Activision has been pretty cagey about what those are. Oh, uh, yeah, it'll I, all come out. People I'm playing. I'm playing it on YouTube Xbox One. About it. Right. Yeah. And on Xbox One, it is very pretty. Very pretty. Yeah. It, it feels like PC high settings of other Call of Duties. You know, nice. and even better than that in a lot of instances. There's some pretty. Um, awesome lighting and depth of field stuff that that yeah. game is doing. And uh, the cutscenes are really, really, really pretty. Like, man, it's just <laughs> like they're, they're, I mean, obviously it's mo-capped and then... Okay, so you know. so, so this I have seen. I have seen some of the cutscenes just, you know, in advertisements and because Kevin Spacey was on Jimmy Fallon uh, yeah. about the game, they showed a cutscene and everything. And you know what? For all the fucking money they spend on an Activision game, I mean, if any if anybody at Activision ever listens to this show and is ever talking to an animator, please just tell them to, God damn it, animate the fucking eyebrows. It's like it's the one thing that like so many uh, cutscenes and things just and animation they just get wrong. I mean, it, maybe it's all facial capture technology and human eyebrow movements just really. Uh, maybe they don't read, and <laughs> Anthony's raising his eyebrow in the Skype video right now. And like, well, because I was trying to see how much my eyebrows move. <laughs> right, and they move a lot. And, like, you look in the one scene that I, well, the couple scenes that I've seen, like, nobody's eyebrows ever move. It's like all of their mo- movement and expression is in their mouth area, and nothing is in their foreheads. And that makes your eyes completely cut out of the entire impression of it. That's why The Last of Us cutscenes are so good, and that's why I love Ninja Theory's cutscenes in... Uh, in uh, both of those <laughs> Ninja Theory games that we compliment a lot for uh, animation. Which one? Uh, there's uh, a, Heavenly Sword, uh, and the other one is Enslaved. Uh, enslaved. Is are are exactly. struggling at, are flailing at. To the West. <laughs> I know. And, and, they both ha- and they both have such amazing animation in their cutscenes because, you know, they were animated by Weta people who were, like, experienced with animating Gollum on the Lord of the Rings movies. Did they do Heavenly Sword? Uh, or not yeah, Heavenly did. Sword? Did they do Enslaved? Uh, it's not the, it's not Weta that, I don't think it's Weta that actually is credited with it. Like they are in Heavenly Sword, but it's like a lot of the same people I think worked on both. Yeah. Um, Andy Serkis just started his own studio. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's, that's the thing is that like, I feel with a, with a franchise like Call of Duty, whoever you're hiring to do your cutscenes, you're paying them a shit ton of money 
or even if they're in-game cutscenes, there has to be animators who know that you animate the eyebrows on a human face in order to give them expression. And like if, if they're not reading well enough, you need to go in there and hand tweak them instead of relying on facial capture. You're going to like the Master Chief Collection's CG then. Oh my god, they're mm. incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've watched the trailer of the cutscenes and I was like, <laughs> exactly. holy moly, that shit is incredible. Yeah, it's um, pretty good. Uh, but Call of Duty, uh, the in-game character stuff actually is a little better about that, really? I think. Yeah. Cool. Is, also, can I... Is the sergeant... The uh, very much the token black sergeant, as that yeah. is, in really? but I mean, no, well, in the sense that, like, you know, like, ever since Aliens, mm-hmm. you always have the hard ass black sergeant for whatever reason, <laughs> right? And this, and is that Idris Elba? Because it sure sounds like him a lot of times. I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> I was just wondering. Inspired by it, it, it just sounds like him sometimes when he's talking, but it's very interesting to see that, uh, that you know, the lead character that you play is is just 100%. Uh, oh my god, why am I spacing on his name? He plays every... He's the voice actor of, uh, in The Last of Us and stuff. You know, and, it's, and if you've seen that documentary um, that Matt and them did... Troy Baker. Troy Baker. It's just Troy Baker. <laughs> like, you, it is Troy Baker in all the cutscenes. Like, uh, they used his face and stuff. They didn't even, you know, try wow. and, like, just model it. Someone's, it's just Troy Baker. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean... Uh, I think Emerson Brooks... Okay. Well, either way, he does a good job. But I just, I just thought he had like hints of Idris Elba in his voice. Um, so, cool. But yeah, I mean, the game's really good. Like it, the story is, I think what I like about it is that the story is pretty straightforward. And I think that sometimes some of the other Call of Duty games get, oh, they're so get, not <laughs> get a little bit up into like, look at the twists and turns oh, and how God. they all come together. Right, and, and no this, room to com- actually communicate those twists and turns and why you should even care. Sure, and whereas in this one, it's very, they're like, this is what happens. It's just right. a very simple conspiracy, and it's easy to understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's not a lot to under like to really get in the way of it outside of that. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Call of Duty conspiracy stories in the single player campaigns have felt very convoluted without having enough time on screen to actually inform the audience. Yeah. And it, you know, and playing with the new technology is kind of fun, although it is a little disorienting in the sense that uh, having played Call of Duty for so long, mm-hmm. there are guns that when I see them, I'm like, oh, I know what that gun is. Uh, in the old Call of Duties, you know, that's my like my G36. I use that all the time. I know how that plays. Whereas <laughs> yeah. in this, there it's a little tough because every gun you pick up, like in Black Ops Two, which was a little bit in the future, a lot of the guns were very clearly just. Oh, this is the AK name something different. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in this, the guns look so different a lot of times that I have a hard time before I fire it knowing like, like the what, default uh, what gun I'm getting in the campaign into. that like automatically reloads itself. Yes. So oh, like wow. I and uh, or like the first time I got I pulled out like a pistol, it like it looked so fucking crazy, and I was holding it with two hands, and I was like like two hands like with a forward grip, and I was like, uh-huh. and, or like the weird fucking shotgun that shoots out a shockwave. I the still Tac nineteen. I still don't fully understand. <laughs> like, and, and I'm kind of I avoid using it because I'm so I don't I don't I don't like I don't get you, so I put you down. Yeah. I need and you know and there's like I've used a laser gun one time, and <laughs> like, but it's it is cool that there's enough different sort of weaponry that feels somewhat grounded in reality in it, mm-hmm. like in the sense that like. You know, the, there's a sniper rifle that feels like a little rail gun. And, gotcha. you know, as, a, as I was sitting here playing it with my girlfriend, one of the things she kept doing is she kept on saying, is that real? Is that real? 
<laughs> like there's like a part where you like or, yeah. you throw out like a, a wasp drone or a fly uh-huh. drone and none of the guys are picking up on the fact that it's in a room because it's like size of a fly she's like is that real i'm like the thing about it is that a lot of the stuff that's in it is real but not in any way shape or form for practical field use or something like right that. Yeah, like there exactly. are there are fly drones and stuff like that but they're like probably able to fly around a room barely you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, so barely. Not with a camera transmitting data and stuff like that. <laughs> right. I mean, a lot and, of the stuff in it is spot. sort of like it's hinged on the idea of like an alternate power source that doesn't exist yet. Uh, yes. Although it is certainly in the making, like fusion. Is, yeah, or hydrogen fuel cells or something. Like, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> like I think it's the. I mean, it might be the Lockheed, but the Skunk Works. Uh, investigative sort of a like technology lab is right. working on like yeah they think like they're like 20 fusion. years away yeah no, or like 10 years away so yeah i mean yeah. it's it, a lot of it like it, or there's like a part you know and they showed it in the initial trailer too right where a guy drops <laughs> a post and then yanks out what looks kind of like a a waist high <coughs> what's it called where you're at a movie theater and they're putting up the guide ropes you know and you can pull out the guide rope from one pole and hook it into another oh so yeah that, yeah yeah. So it looks like that, except in between is a big piece of fabric that then becomes hard, you know, for mm-hmm. bulletproof. And again, gotcha. like, is that real? They're, they are working on fibers right now that can be shocked with electricity to turn solid when they right. need to. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it's it's really interesting if you, like, right, have ever watched... fibers are probably not bulletproof. <laughs> but they want, but that's what they want. They're sure. working on that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and so for it's interesting to me to, like, see all this stuff that I'm like, it's all a lot of it's very plausible. Like there's mm-hmm. only a few things that I found totally science fiction. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, a lot of it is plausible enough that I was like like the the sort of I don't know, fucking weapon nerd top gear person in me that's just like <laughs> that's cool. You know, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that's cool moments. Um, um Future Weapons hosted by Anthony Gallegos. Oh, so gosh. <laughs> quick thing, uh Anthony, this is the actress that plays Ilona in the oh. game yeah she i mean who is the coolest character in the game by far who what who's the actor uh it i'm posting it. it in skype uh oh well our yeah she's a very pretty lady who none plays of our listeners can hear who plays no, but the actress like who plays ilana like voice wise looks exactly like her yeah like, that's uh, that's her what likeness. i'm saying they just used the character's likenesses instead of redoing them um gotcha. But yeah, she's like a badass ex-KGB. You know, Spetsnaz. Sort of. Spetsnaz, sorry. So she's, cool. you know, uh, she's like your partner in crime throughout large swaths of the game. Um, um, but the story how, is And how not is her good. character treated? The story's okay. I mean, it's very much, it's like it might as well be a Shakespeare play, right? It's just like, or like, you know what I mean? Like, as soon as I played it, it felt like I was like, Amy was like, oh, isn't that Kevin Spacey's character? Isn't he the bad guy? He doesn't seem like a bad guy yet. I'm like, it might as well just be the story of fucking Harry Osborn or whatever, like uh, the Green Goblin. I'm going to take right. you in because you're friends with my son. And then it turns out I'm going to turn into the monster and you're going to have to take me down. I, it's just like, like super predictable, like Call of Duty, James Bond bullshit. Sure. Totally. For me, like, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like, it's like, it's totally whatever. Yeah. But it, it just gives me fun set pieces to play in with these weird gadgets. And in that regard, it does really well, actually. Like, that's sort of the best part of the exosuit for single player is that it gives them a way to do really cool shit. Like, I was I was curious, though, as someone who's obviously spent way more time with it than I have at this point, 
I have a little bit of a hard time with the double jump traversal stuff, only because, so you do know, in the game, in the game, it's obviously runs or anything like that. No, and no. so the game that it's obviously going to get compared to in that regard is Titanfall. Yeah. And with Titanfall, I felt like I felt really in control of my jumps as far as like getting me exactly to the ledge that I wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like the Call of Duty double jump is a bit more of like a. It really is like a guy who's jumping in the air and is kind of tumbling, and all of a sudden he activates his fucking jet boost and it kicks him through the air, you know. Oh, and so, okay. And so it's a little bit more of a kick in the ass than like a smooth transition. Right. So it's like I've had a really hard time feeling like I can like I I constantly overshoot what I'm trying to jump for. So or, it's a little, it's a little bit of a weird phrase to say in a video game, but it has you know a little bit more. <laughs> Of a real feel like if somebody had boosters attached to them and activated them in the middle of a jump or something. Right. Yeah. It it doesn't it doesn't like lift me up very perfectly like elegantly. It feels <laughs> right. like it feels like I'm activating rockets for a brief second <laughs> and they kind of throw me. Right. Um, like, did you find though, in Arthur, like for you that it was kind of easy? Like, eventually you were like a pro with it. You know, in the same way that like when we we're talking about Sunset Overdrive, you kind of get used to the flow and that sort of mechanic. I mean, pro is sort of subjective here. Uh, Of course. I don't think that single player ever really gives you the opportunity to become sort of really conversant with that stuff because it never, you never really need to Mm, like, and you're sort of actively discouraged from double jumping in a lot of, a lot of places because there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until you play a lot of multiplayer, I think, that you start to get used to the way that movement can really be cool and different in that game. And yeah, are, I, the, are the multiplayer maps like all suitably vertical? Yes, to help with that. Yes, yes, yes. definitely. And, and does and, that mean that if you're not double jumping, you're at a significant disadvantage? You're going to get killed from someone who's above you, or if you're not like because yeah. you can double jump, but you can also use the suit to do a side dodge. So mm. if you if you right click to sprint, but you're holding left or right, you'll do like a hardcore like Gundam style slide, you know. Gotcha. And and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I've ran up to someone, he slid, slid, and I meleeed past him, and then he just turned and meleeed me in the back of my head, and I was like, damn, dude, wow. that dude was a fucking like he. <laughs> I was outplayed, you know. It adds <laughs> it adds a cool dynamic to that, and I will say the multiplayer maps in it too, they are really 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 pretty. Yes. Like like and I, and by that I mean like a. You know, go back and play other Call of Duty maps, even Call of Duty Four and stuff, and you have like mm-hmm. a brown palette, a gray palette, and stuff. <laughs> sure. And in this one, and this one, like some of the levels is just like this is just red and blue, red <laughs> and blue and bright green, and it's saturated <laughs> as fuck. And it's just like it doesn't feel like Call of Duty in that way, color wise. Like even right, though obviously right. the gameplay is there, but sure. the maps themselves feel like a very new sort of franchise in a way, and right I, I I like that about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, they didn't have to, like, I don't know, maybe they didn't have to... Uh, you have all of the new resources available to you. I wonder if a lot of the artists were finally just given leeway to, like, no, you don't have to stick with this color palette for our post-processing, you know? Yeah. I will say, as far as I can tell, too, I feel like this Call of Duty has the fewest vehicle parts of any Call of Duty game I've ever played. Hmm. Not, and yeah, not there's, not, there's not a lot of on-rails stuff exactly. in this one. yeah. Uh, like the, although there is a turret sequence like literally five minutes into the game. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but it's uh, it's quick. It's very fast, yeah. yeah. Um It's funny because that that's the the, the I did I just finished uh the last 
chapter or two of Wolfenstein. And that was something I was about thinking about at that game too. There's like a turret sequence like right at the beginning of the game and like a turret like a couple other like hold a gun in the turret sequence, but you can detach the gun and walk around with it, you know, like heavy style, like Gears of War. Yeah. Uh, but I, w- I expected more just because of that, just because of its legacy and the games that have come out since then from its legacy and everything. I was like, and especially since they hit it with you like really early on, I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to be in turrets this whole game, aren't I? And like, nope, didn't really yeah. work out that way, which is good. You know, like turrets are played. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, it is it is a pretty neat thing. And it's I, I mean, I feel like there's obviously some things I play in the game, you know, and I'm like, if you were to ask me, is that real? I'd say no in the sense that it, it does seem kind of weird that, uh, especially in that game, like some of the things like I'm like, drones are so amazing in this uh-huh. game. Why <laughs> are we even bothering to put humans in the field as much as we are? Because <laughs> yeah. like, drones are incredible. <laughs> yeah. Like there's there's only a few sequences in the game where you take a drone like off your back and throw mm-hmm. it into the fight, but when you do, the drone is the fucking hunter killer from the Terminator. <laughs> it can't be stopped, and all the humans can do is just die. There's right a a mission in that game that kind of mixes the the ideas behind the sniper level in Call of Duty Modern Warfare and the C130 mission in the Call in Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, to really yes, it get does. effect. Wow, I just cool. thought, of, yeah, huh, that's true. Nice. Um, yeah, and you know, I, like I think that, that if if there are definitely levels in it that pace themselves in ways that you could find their sort of like equivalents in other Call of Duties, like mm-hmm. you know, every one of the most famous missions from Call of Duty Four is obviously the one where you are going through, you know, Chernobyl, and you're like mm-hmm. dodging all the soldiers and crawling on the ground while all the patrols go. And there's very much that in this, except. You know, mm-hmm. they find new ways for you to hide from the troops. Gotcha. And, yeah, I, I, I just think that it is it is a very cool game, and it definitely fe- But Arthur's right. It definitely feels like, especially story-wise, it is like James Bond in a way. Like, it's like, let's start this <laughs> level, and we're going to have you in the air. And then what mm-hmm. cool shit could we have them do if they were to encounter an airplane? Why would this technology even exist? It don't fucking matter. It's going to look cool. Yeah. So just fucking get Q out there to make this gadget for us so we can get this shit rolling. Like so. like the like air to air transfer of troops is so common in future warfare that they have to have technology specifically designed around it. <laughs> yeah, or just No, like I mean the thing in the game like is designed to intercept an aircraft. Well, but one uh, thing I thought was silly is that they're, you know, the first like 1 minute of the game is you're in a drop pod. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking we love the idea of drop pods because they seem uh-huh. so cool, but they are so fucking impractical. Oh god, yeah. Like no dude, put a put, put a parachute on a motherfucker and drop him out of a plane. It's yep. been working for so long. <laughs> and instead they put you in these giant really expensive pods with crazy screens that just get shot out of the sky. Yeah. I don't know, but it looks fucking awesome. I'll give it that. But it's still one of those things that I'm like some things are definitely not where I see the military going, but yeah. it's definitely there well, because the, it the looks idea fucking that you cool. Could... Yeah, the idea that, I mean, you understand where the impetus comes from. It's like, oh, man, if you could just launch a whole bunch of people from a height where they couldn't be shot down from guns from the ground and they can descend so fast that they're really hard to hit on, like, parachutes, you know. But then it's like the idea that you can send any human being down in something that could crash into the ground and then they could get out and walk away. Yeah, or or just the fact that if it was coming down fast enough for them to avoid most anti-aircraft fire, 
mm-hmm. it would need the craziest retro thrusters on it to, <laughs> you know, yeah. to disperse the, the phys- like to counter the physics that are applying yep. to it as it's speeding towards <laughs> the earth. So, but yep. overall, I mean, man. It's funny because you can believe that like, oh, okay, it's, it's, you know, a Spartan from Halo may be able to withstand the impact of a drop pod. <laughs> right. But nobody in like, you know, near future Call of Duty universe. But still, yeah. you're right. It's it's still such a cool idea. Everybody loves it. Yeah. No, but I, I, I agree with Arthur, though. It's, it is, it is. I mean, like, you know, if you were disappointed with Call of Duty from last year, mm-hmm. uh, this one makes good on what I think we you know what people want out of call of duty i also think that it's a better campaign than pretty much every other call of duty except for modern warfare Um, i haven't finished it yet but i might i might actually agree with arthur on that one i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the hell out of it it lacks the the sort of narrative i guess i'll call it ambition of black ops 2 because like it doesn't branch or anything like that but just from a pure level design and scenario design perspective like it is not like Treyarch's Call of Duty games, which are often good, but frequently have like these sort of sharp, low objects that you clip your shins on over and over again. <laughs> or like these points where the objective is just not clear, where you yeah. will die over and over again trying to figure out what stupid, obscure, golden thing they want yeah. you to run up to. Or like, oh no, like we didn't want you to wait here and kill everyone at this part. We wanted you to run forward or we didn't want you to run forward at this part. We wanted you to wait and kill everyone. Well, that's pretty much every call of duty game is like, I end up at some point, I end up sitting there uh, thinking that like, Oh, I need to kill everybody so I can move forward. And then going like, Oh wait, this is a call of duty game. The only time I move forward is when I move forward. It doesn't matter how many guys I'm killing, which like, I think, the modern like sort of version of that was born with modern warfare when you're in the farmhouse yeah and like trying to make it down the ridge but yep. but like treyarch has struggled with that in particular i think like with mm-hmm. the sort of kind of sloppy single player design that that only in that only modern warfare really succeeded at because modern warfare 3 only succeeded in being super easy and modern warfare 2 definitely had a lot of like stupid parts um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, yeah. Overall, though, I would say Arthur could be right. It's, it's definitely an awesome. It's a really fun campaign. Like I've sat here and I've been playing all day, one mission after the other, and and it is cool the two that they've added little. I mean, it is very light, but they've added an upgrade system. So you know, mm-hmm. you're like like in the way that they're just gamifying the the story missions. So that you're like. Oh, I need to do more grenade kills because then I'll unlock a, a skill point to put into a, a skill tree. Yeah, gotcha. do, and basically the skill tree is all the same shit that you get out of multiplayer perks, except right. put into single player. But yeah, so. Wolfenstein does that same thing too. I really enjoyed that. Wolfenstein. Like Wolfenstein is different because you get like quote perk rewards from doing those things, whereas like yeah. you just fulfill challenges or whatever in Advanced Warfare and get points. But, uh, and then you spend the points. Yeah, but the thing is, like that, so seriously undermines the tone that Advanced Warfare is going for. Like hmm. everyone is very serious in mm-hmm. Advanced Warfare. Like everything is very serious. There is no levity in that game. <laughs> like uh-huh. aside from Kevin Spacey being like a super ham on screen, but mm-hmm. even that's not like haha, I'm funny crazy. It's like I am diabolically villainous at a certain point. 
right. like <laughs> for that serious tone for it to pop up that you like fulfilled a kill challenge it's just like yeah. really weird just like yeah. the press x to pay your respects thing is really weird yeah um it's sort of undermined by its call of dutiness gotcha. yeah there are, there are certain scenes that it's like i'm of two minds like the press x to pay respects thing is really kind of silly it's like a you know, there are very few instances in a Call of Duty game where you're ever playing and you don't have a gun. And mm-hmm. it's tough because it's like in Black Ops 2, I think, there's like a scene where you're like sharing beers with your friends and it's like mm-hmm. this non-combat scene and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And being part of playing it was actually somehow effective. I'd, I would have to go back and ex- play it to really understand why. Mm-hmm. But this art, the pay X to plus press X to play respects thing, is felt very much like it could have just been a cutscene. And there was really no point. Like Call of Duty has actually succeeded with Gravitas with uh with Modern Warfare. Like mm-hmm. cuz you die in that game. Mm-hmm. You you die twice in that game. And mm-hmm. both times it doesn't feel exploitative so much as it just feels intense. Mm-hmm. Um and in this I think when they try to do stuff like that it feels exploitative. I don't know. What do you mean by exploitative? Like, hey, we're going to kill this person to try to, like, evoke some kind of emotion from you. Uh, Or, hey, we're going to have you at a military funeral to try to make things seem serious. Uh, So it's sort of like a a cheap emotional get instead of something that could have been, like, a little bit more deeply constructed, I guess. It's the Gravitas equivalent of a jump scare. Right jump empathy or something it's uh i'm I'm, it's the sort of film equivalency of that is i'm you know i like a lot of spielberg stuff but i'm critical of a lot of his stuff too because he goes for those kinds of moments that feel cheap and easy instead of like instead of like well of course i'm supposed to feel this way and everything is designed around like kind of cheap emotion instead of uh the stuff that's harder to come by anyway um yeah. So, yeah, so, it sounds like you guys like that one. Yeah, it's I good. sure did. It's real good. Cool. Well, hopefully I can give it a shot, I'm, but I'm saving up my pennies for uh, Dragon Age. I knew that was coming. I haven't bought it. Yeah. Dragon Age is less than what? Is it like two weeks away? A month away? Two weeks. Uh, oh, although, geez. if you have EA access, you get it like four or five days early. Yeah, I don't subscribe to things. <laughs> I mean, increasingly, it's becoming a pretty good deal. Like, they added Plants vs. Zombies on that. It is. It's just, like, for me, like, if I start subscribing to stuff, then it's, like, I I have less awareness of where all of my money is going. Right. And, like, pretty soon I'm, like, why am I running out of money every month? Oh, it's because I've subscribed to, like, ten things that are all buck ninety nine each, and, like, it's sucking all of my cash. Um, so I, I would rather, I would rather just buy less things with that same amount of money, even though I know it's a better deal over the long term. I have a copy of that game waiting for me and I won't be able to touch it until December, I think. (laughs) Too many other games. Well, I'll play it two or three times through for you. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting for because I never really tried Dragon Age ever. And it's like, I was also that same way with Mass Effect. Like I didn't get into the Mm -hmm. first one and then Arthur... I watched Arthur play two enough that I was like, I'm going to try this Mass Effect 2 thing. <laughs> and then I was like fucking way too into it. And I played through <laughs> two twice yeah. and three once. So <laughs> I feel like Dragon Age could be, hopefully, I, I want it to be that. I want 
Yeah, Can't yeah. You might you might want to go back. It might make you want to go back and play the other ones, but I feel like this is this one seems to me like it has the potential to be the one where people go like, "Oh, Dragon Age is awesome." Whereas the other two were a little. Whereas the first one was like, if you were kind of a hardcore Bioware RPG nut uh, from you know, and you've been playing Bioware RPGs since the late '90s and early aughts, then you were like. Oh man, Dragon Age Origins, they finally kind of returned to their roots and made a game for me. And then Dragon Age 2, you know, was this weird middle ground. And I think Dragon Age 3 is going to be that right mix of modern game design with kind of uh, a little bit older sensibilities about what an RPG can can be. Dragon Age Inquisition is also the first, like, Bioware RPG to have been born in a post-Skyrim era. Oh, that's a good point too. Um, yeah, like even definitely. Mass Effect Three was like done when Skyrim came out. It's yep, not like that was yep. going to affect it. Whereas Skyrim is very clearly yep. an influence on Inquisition. Yeah, and Ma- and Mass Effect, the first one, they talked so much about the universe being this open thing where you could go to any planet and explore anything on these planets, and basically it was a whole bunch of really dead worlds with really uh, just bullshit mission objectives and like people. There's long threads about why people liked driving the Mako around on different planets and stuff like that. And I like driving the Mako around on different planets, but I have no illusions about like how empty that game actually was. So it definitely felt like in the beginning, Mass Effect was supposed to be the massive openness that uh, Inquisition is going to be. Right, but I mean, like that was the story of last gen. It's like, hey, here's where ambition collides with reality. <laughs> yeah, totally true. Uh, and that's, you know... That was also when Bioware was an independent company. So just to be clear, this D- Dragon Age Inquisition is actually being made by the Edmonton Bioware. I yeah? think so. I'm just always curious, just because, again, you know, Bioware, back in the day when you saw something Bioware, you knew it was being made by the studio founded by the doctors. Right. And now, and now it's like you don't necessarily... Bioware know. Montreal is working on Mass Effect whatever now, I'm okay. pretty sure. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So now, yeah. Now, Bioware is more of just an EA brand rather than like a studio. Right. In the uh, same way that there's two. I mean, there's a couple pop caps and. Yeah. You know. I mean, I think that there was a danger of that happening for a while, like when they were going to release a call or a uh, company. Sorry, Command and Conquer. They're going to release a Command and Conquer game with Bioware's name on it. Yeah. Uh, and then that game okay. got canceled. Right. Um, so that sort of it dodged that bullet um have you guys seen the dragon age keep stuff at all no but i need to do it so that i can get my shit ready to play inquisition (laughs) what is is a drag wait is a dragon age keep uh so it's 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 only well you want to no no go ahead it's fine um so Mm. it's uh basically it's uh i talked a little bit about this because i saw it at pax so uh this is a bit of a rehash for a lot of people um But it's essentially, it's a website that you can log into with your Origin account. And it knows from your achievements and uh, I think maybe even some of your save files, uh, but I think mostly from your achievements, what what decisions you made in Dragon Age Origins. Oh, and because like uh, Origins and uh, Dragon Age 2, you know, you have characters that all your character data was uploaded to Origin servers. And uh, there was records of them on your on your Bioware account and that kind of thing. 
Um, so they have all of that data and they know what all the decision points were in the different games. And so it has this really cool layout where you can basically just pick all of the story decisions from the first two games and decide how you want them to play out. And uh, then it applies them to a Dragon Age uh, Inquisition save that you can then, uh, or not really a save, it's basically you can like restore it from, well, we'll just call it a save for shorthand. You can basically restore it, you can basically create a new Dragon Age universe history for yourself. That's cool. So that way you can actually have all those previous things. Yep. So if someone like me, maybe, who didn't do that. Right. But none of that is going to mean anything. True. Well, it, it they do a pretty good job of explaining like how they all how all the choices interact with one another and who the characters are. There's so there's a whole lot of lore that you can get out of the keep, not just the lore that you're already familiar with if you've played the game, but lore beyond that if you just randomly want to explore like oh, here's decisions that I never chose. Here's a Dragon Age origin. I never chose the dwarf uh thief origin or whatever. Um, or the, sorry, the dwarf noble origin. I never chose that one. So let's see what decisions they had that affected the rest of the game, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so it's just a really, it's a really clever way of doing it. And it's actually a really beautiful presentation of it all. They created so much hand-drawn art because every choice has a piece of art that goes with it in the website, just because it's all laid out on a grid and you choose you choose one object and it fans out into other objects and it all has that really cool Dragon Age style that they really started to nail down in Dragon Age 2 and is like really nailed down in Dragon Age 3 or Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, so it's something definitely worth doing before you play the game, I think. It, normally these things just kind of seem like, oh, here's some weird sort of uh, web 2.0 hack thing that they want people to get in with to increase oh, the game. <laughs> are you playing audio? No, sorry. Are, I are accidentally... you, am I boring you? Are you watching YouTube or TV? No, Max. All, uh, Matt, all that tried to do is I tried to set my default uh, audio thing to my headphones and I accidentally set it to my t- to my computer <laughs> monitor and so for a second you were coming out of my monitor. My bad. <laughs> I know anyway, it's, it's worth it. Dragon Age Keep is worth doing. All right, I was and I and I was looking at the site very briefly because I was curious and yeah, Matt's right. It has this really beautiful art and it's all made to look like tapestries. So you're yeah. like picking your characters like lore through tapestries. I don't know. Right. Oh boy, lore! Cool. That's my favorite. <laughs> if you hey, if you love Dragon Age, it sure seems like it has to be right, or at least part of it. Right? There is a, a a preponderance of lore in Dragon Age. There is um, so. I'm all about that. You know, I want to know, like, why my dwarfs are culturally why they are. Why you're what? The way they are. My, why my dwarf is culturally the way he Your is. Dwarfs? You know? Yeah. My dwarfs. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. Just dwarven's peoples. <clears throat> um, yep, I'll play that over December break or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's when I'll Can- time. That and Shadow of Mordor. Yeah. Can you uh, talk about the Halo? I can. By the time this goes up, the embargo will be up. Nice. Uh, so that's a so lot of more than just cutscenes. That's a lot of fucking game. <laughs> um, so much it's, that it is a yep. little hard to wrap my head around. It's every Halo but ODST, right? And Reach. Two of my favorites. Um, wah, wah. It's every Master Chief game. Okay. Which. Uh, Honestly, if you complain 
about the games that aren't in this, I kind of don't have a lot of sympathy <laughs> for you because there no, are four really. of them. Yeah, and they're um, all redone. It's just, it's so, it's weird to quantify what this game is because it's like, it's games that Microsoft could and has charged for separately mm-hmm. and people would buy them. Like, people would buy yeah. a 1080p60 version of Halo 4 by itself. Right. Sure. People would buy Especially ten- for $15, since that's kind of the equivalent of what it would be. No, like, they would pay, like, 40 or $50. Oh, of course, easy. but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that on this disc, they basically are $15 each right. if you want to break it down um, by game per dollar value. And just, like, the sheer amount of work and production that's gone into Halo 2 would justify the $60. Um. Like, it is easily as much of a sort of remastering as Halo Championship Edition's Anniversary Edition was, or Halo mm-hmm. Combat Evolved. Sorry, I, I hear CE and I think Championship Edition. <laughs> uh, Halo 2 is the star of the show in this box, right? Like, it kind of feels like that as far as, like, 3 didn't get the crazy cutscene treatment. No, and neither know? did 4. And so it's, right, and um, so it's very much 2 is, like, the one that they're, like, Look, two is this big fucking beautiful thing, to, and you know what? Also, we're gonna roll out some esports shit, and it's gonna start with Halo Two. Right. So like, the the esports stuff is specifically for Halo Two anniversary maps, which mm. are six remastered Halo Two maps. Um, so they have like the updated graphics and sounds and all that. Like, but there's also like the full Halo Two multiplayer suite, like from 2004. Like every map that ever came out for Halo Two is in there in its original Halo 2E glory. And so I what see. is the esports shit that they've done? Uh so they are starting a championship series very similar to the season system that Riot does for League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um and they are supporting it both financially and from a production standpoint. And they have like a sort of charter and sanctioning board. Um where yeah. nice. it can make every tournament count towards the overall season and the teams with the, the like every event is worth points, whether it's an online mm-hmm. event or a, a LAN mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the teams with the most points at the end of the season are invited to an invitational. Right. It's kind of like tennis in that way. Yeah. You know, tennis rankings can be like from the smallest tournaments to the biggest tournaments. Right. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Uh, yeah. So, it is like the most all in that they've ever been on esports. It is it is a dedicated sort of shot across the bow of like the first person shooters that are trying to sort of like get into esports the way that the MOBAs have and no shooter right. really has yet. Um Yeah, and it's and it's like preparation I imagine for Halo five. Right. It's like, you know, start Smart. with two. So um talking yeah, to them, like I got to talk to, to Che and uh Chay Chow. Yeah. Chay Chow. And, and Formerly of OneUp.com. Yeah, I think Andy Dudinsky is his name, who was a uh, a Halo champion with MLG, mm-hmm. like, back when, for Halo 2 and Halo 3. Uh, basically, like, we've talked about it before on the show, that, like, one of the big challenges for first-person shooters in the esports space is that they're not spectator-friendly. Right. Like, yep. It's hard to watch that, and that is something that they acknowledged in their conversation with me, and that is something that is not particularly dealt with in Halo Two Anniversary. Like that—that that is a game that is just like every other first-person shooter in the way that you watch it. Um, sure. 
And but I mean that requires a huge rethink on the development of your the esports side of your first person. Shooter. I mean, just like from a basic architecture point yeah. of view, like it just has to be built that way. Um, yep. But the other thing that they discussed with me that makes a lot of sense is that also um, a formal structure like the the HCS uh, allows them to create season long sort of narratives. Like, mm-hmm. by having teams compete against each other, by having that human drama, like, uh, it allows a scenario for people to get invested yep. in what's happening. Makes like, sense. As opposed to, oh, well, this team won this tournament, and it doesn't mean anything for the next one. They're just good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, in this, yep. everything contributes to a ultimate sort of denouement for for the season. And I love it. that can create real rivalries and real sort of drama uh, yeah, that that's interesting because I don't even feel like I feel that when I watch Dota, like I still feel like Dota just comes down to this each individual tournament. So it's yeah, it's that's something that that's a little that Dota yeah, sort like of struggles I, with. Yeah, like I hear you and Mitch talking about Dota teams, Arthur, um, in conversations where I have no idea what you're saying to each other. Right, it's sort of like listening to me talk about Beyond Earth. I but the uh, yeah, like Dota. To its credit, like those teams have big followings, and people mm-hmm. sort of get to know the lineups and the players, and they that's that's helpful to Dota. Like, sure, but also, totally. it's not like League of Legends where like there are serious sort of like competitions that spring up between teams leading up to the big thing because you can be in Dota, like a team like Navi, which most people have heard of at this point, mm-hmm. uh, like. They can not have the winning a season, but Valve will invite them to the invitation to the international anyway because they think that they they belong there. Right. Um, whereas something right. like League of Legends, it's much more likely that the people that end up at Worlds, which is the sort of championship for for LOL, are the people mm-hmm. who have been winning. Um, gotcha. So I think that it is a a step in the right direction. They're sort of paying attention in a way that other. Uh, companies I don't other developers aren't and that includes uh, Sledgehammer who also has like paid some lip service to really wanting to reinvest in in esports with advanced warfare uh, yeah. whereas the HCS seems like Microsoft and 343 putting their money where their mouth is like it's an investment yeah. right um, uh-huh. yeah it's not perfect but they're making but there's they're starting down the road right there uh and like you know you you know that with the bank account like microsoft has and a legacy like halo has that uh they can take a long-term vision towards something like this right. and they don't have to execute on it like 100 percent fully with their first outing and it's smart to do it here because like there's mm-hmm. nothing but goodwill for halo 2 in the competitive community <laughs> like it's yeah. not like Halo 3 was controversial, Halo Reach was controversial, Halo 4 was controversial. Like, all of those games saw a slow seeding of Halo's dominance in the multiplayer space to other things, specifically Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. Um, But people still fondly remember Halo 2. So, Can you, uh, in Halo 2 multiplayer, Uh can you still dual-wield needlers? Yeah. And stuff like, they didn't touch stuff like that. I was just wondering. No, like, all the mechanics are the same. Um, okay. The Halo 2 anniversary maps do, uh, first, like, some of the differences are on the maps themselves, the interface, like, it shows what 
where weapons spawn, like when you come to that point on the map and what that weapon is. That's interesting. Um, also, the so ra- you don't just have to know everything. Right. Like you yeah. Did back the, the radar uh, shows like an up or down arrow to show you like verticality of people on the map. Also, uh-huh. there are new vehicles. Oh, whoa! That I didn't know. Yeah. What type? Of, yeah, I was gonna say what type of shit they had. Uh, mongooses are in Halo Two anniversary. Mongooses <laughs> with <laughs> guns are in Halo oh. Two anniversary. As in, as in a gun that the pilot can, yes, the driver can fire. Yes. Or the, okay. They're called. I thought the maybe mongoose. it gave. <laughs> okay, I thought maybe I thought maybe it was like something for the uh like a tiny a tiny warthog, you know, with a gun yeah. for the back ass. No, that would be pretty funny it. though. Um <laughs> it's basically like a human ghost. Okay. Huh. Um cool. There's also I think they're called hornets from Halo three. Yeah. The the human VTOL things. They're yeah, yeah, yeah. they're in uh in Halo Two Anniversaries maps. And there's additional interactivity in those maps, but from a mechanical point of view, it's Halo two. Um so, and it's just, it's really, I, it's, it's also hard to wrap your, my head around the Master Chief stuff because like it is an entire legacy of game design and multiplayer, like in one thing. And that sounds, that might sound overblown or silly, but like when you go from game to game, like the massive changes mm-hmm. that they made from title to title are really incredibly apparent. Uh, I don't know, Arthur. That sounds pretty overblown and silly. Like, even something simple like going from ha- playing Halo 2 to playing Halo 3 and forgetting that, oh, now you reload with the right bumper and X's equipment. <laughs> um, That's totally the kind of thing that would throw me off if I just jumped from one game straight into the next. Or, like, going from Halo 3 to Halo 4 and, oh, right, you run and have armor abilities now. Also, the <laughs> <Right>. assault <laughs> rifle, like, is crazy good. Um, <laughs> like, there's just... It is such a testament to the evolution of that series in in like this one thing, and those things can coexist and live next to each other almost immediately. Um, mm. So it's just it's really weird, like going from Halo One to Halo Two and the massive flip in physics from mm. the first to the second game, like the way that you throw grenades, the way you melee attack, like mm. the way the guns work. Um, the fact that the assault rifle isn't in Halo 2, it's just the SMG. Um, oh, really? Wow. I forgot about that. And then huh. to have all that like packaged with Halo 2 Anniversary's like, presentation is just... Wait, wait, wait. The assault rifle isn't in Halo 2? No. <laughs> yeah. They replaced it with Surprise the SMGs. <laughs> that you could do a wheel. Yep. Uh... And yeah, the presentation stuff in Halo Two is incredible. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I am curious to see those cutscenes. You know, yeah, I, I, or Definitely. to see more of them. I should say, like visually speaking, it's it looks good. It's not like mind blowing, but it looks good. Like the update, mm-hmm. but switching back and forth between that and Halo Two is like jaw dropping. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and it's not just the visuals; like the music changes and the audio mix changes and the sound effects change. Oh, I didn't wow. know that. Um, I thought they. Ju- I thought it was literally only a visual no. thing. Um, all that stuff changes, and it changes instantly. So it's taking a lot of the lessons that they learned doing the anniversary edition of Halo CE, and sort of mm-hmm. fixing the problems. Like the blur CG exists because the cutscenes in Halo CE anniversary looked like shit. 
Like, <laughs> it's the best way to overcome those. But like during cutscenes in Halo 2, if you hit the back button or like the menu button or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. like it switches between the original real time cutscenes and the blur CG. And that's awesome. The, it's just like it is this really weird, interesting historical document. And also, like all of those games hold up really fucking well. Um, although Halo One and Halo Two are both entirely too long, <laughs> yeah, like they're yeah, I, we we knew that even when we were playing them the first time. Yeah, well, no, because I feel like back then, like a fifteen-hour campaign in a shooter made sense. Oh God, Halo One felt so long to me. Um, Halo Two didn't feel so long, but Halo One felt way too long. I mean, Halo Two might be longer than Halo One. Actually, yeah. it's probably just because Halo One just wasn't as good of a game. Um, but yeah, the the. Uh, uh, I lo- I do love it from like a, also a, the historical educational perspective just to see what this franchise has done over yeah. its years. That's a really good idea. It's a really cool idea, and I really love the idea of uh, developers going back and redeveloping an old game like this. Like, I'd love to see redevelops of a lot of games. You know, and it's like there there are games that have been. Uh, abandoned, you know, that maybe some other developer could pick up and redevelop, you know, that game and uh, put it out in their style or put it out in, uh, or put it out in the same style, but uh, as though it was made just this last year, like Halo 2, you know, I'd love to see a lot of that. I, part of me wishes that they had a toggle to allow you to limit the frame rate to 30 so that you could see the difference in how they play. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, like, going back and forth between the games, the difference is pretty big. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like going back, if you were to play the 360 versions of Halo 3 and Halo 4, uh, or, like, the Xbox version of Halo 2 versus what's in the Master Chief Collection, it would be a little staggering, like, how more smoothly they control at that frame mm. rate than they did in their original versions. And Halo has always controlled really well. It has. Like, it's never been a slouch in that department, but just the difference is so considerable um, that it's just... (laughs) And it's just really (laughs) weird to qualify. And, like, my only concern with it is that at the time we're recording this, the day one patch still isn't up. Uh, What's the day one patch? uh, It adds online multiplayer, first of all. (laughs) Uh, or just a little thing like that Uh, also uh as it is right now like the halo one terminals do not work like Uh, they do not function because they try to load the halo channel which is also broken um of course like terminals in halo 2 only kind of work and sometimes the Hmm. video stutters uh And that also opens the Halo channel when you watch them. It's not loading the video in in the game. It loads the Halo channel app on your Xbox One and wow, links weird. to that video. Um, huh. And and there's just like lots of weird little bugs and, and things that mm-hmm. need to be fixed that aren't fixed yet because the patch isn't there yet. And so mm-hmm. for my embargo for this is Thursday at midnight. And mm. I don't know what I'm going to do about that because yeah, really. as it stands now, stands now, it's an incredible document and a huge value, but there's a lot of fucking bugs in it that aren't fixed yet. <laughs> um, and they're really rapidly running out of time to fix those bugs because the game is out on Tuesday. Right. Um, 
Well, it's like, do they, so in this kind of situation, do do game companies know that you just have to review something that's broken and that you can't give it the benefit of a doubt past a certain point? I think it depends on the company. Some, some publishers mm-hmm. would insist that we give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, mm-hmm. Like some would move the embargo. Gotcha. I don't know what Microsoft is going to do in this situation. I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation mm-hmm. because yeah. like those bugs, like that is a pretty serious caveat. Like, that, sure. Hey, a bunch of shit in this doesn't work and it's super frustrating. Like trying to go to the halo channel over and over again at a terminal, like <laughs> waiting for the video to load and hoping that it works this time. Yep. Um, because, and it's especially frustrating because the terminals that they've added to halo two are awesome. Like they give mm. a much broader view of the covenant. Like they explain who the arbiter is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are they yeah. like though? Are they in some ways like the ones in Halo Four in the sense that, let's say I'm a first person coming to Halo Two, uh-huh. right? It's like you know the, the, the first time I played Halo Four, and like I was so lost a lot of times until I read the terminal stuff, and then I was like, oh, everything makes no, sense now. Because I think <laughs> Halo Two was a much more narratively coherent game. It was. Than, than Halo 4 or even Halo 3. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so these ones feel like maybe then they serve the purpose that the terminals always felt like they should serve, yes. which is like layering on a little extra frosting on your cake. It's developing yeah. things that were otherwise uh, satisfactorily suggested at. Like the relationship mm-hmm. between the prophets and the elites was mm-hmm. suggested at pretty, f- like pretty effectively in Halo mm-hmm. 2. Like you got mm-hmm. an idea of that relationship and how it was falling apart. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and this fleshes that out. Uh, it goes into who the arbiters are like as this sort of mm-hmm. weird outcast curse class in, uh, the covenant society and how they weren't always that way. Like how oh, they were, I thought they always were. No, like it was like one arbiter who was quote shamed. Uh, and then the arbiter mantle became like a, like a death sentence basically for someone to sacrifice themselves for the covenant. So that's interesting to me because as a person that likes lore, exactly. (laughs) Because when you played Halo two originally, the game just initially, obviously, because it's speaking from the current culture, Mm -hmm. current culture of the, of the aliens, that they implied he that the arbiter quote fingers that the yeah well because well because yeah because obviously there's no real <laughs> alien culture with an actual history yeah, right. but the way the aliens are speaking in Halo Two originally implied that the arbiter's always just been a way for a shamed person to die and regain some honor right that's in all service of right of the, the covenant um, yeah and it also like a lot of the terminals involve guilty spark uh, explaining to the heretic like what the Halo rings are. Um, Mm -hmm. and like how he became the heretic, like why he is, he is a heretic, um, -hmm. heretic. Yeah. And also heretic. I said heretic, heretic, heretic. I don't know. Also, there's a new CG cutscene at the beginning of the game that ties it into, uh, Halo five. Aha. And thus we see the reason why this game is released. No, just kidding. I mean, it's a smart thing to loop it in. It makes me a little hopeful oh, that yeah. the Arbiter will be in Halo 5 in some capacity, because I still think... Uh, he's such a cool character, and it would be a shame to find oh, out dude. like what he did he with the culture. He was great, and they exactly. totally fucked him in Halo 3, because people complained. Yep. yep. Um, dude, I love the, the whole the dual storyline of the Arbiter and the Master Chief. I thought that was 
genius. Yeah. And like I was really disappointed that it wasn't as equally prominent in the rest of the Halo in the rest of the Halo franchise. I wanted after playing Halo Two, I thought, oh, okay, well now we're going to have two main characters that people are going to want to dress up as all the time. I just, and I just thought it was Arbiter cool to like Master Chief. To you know, any game that humanizes the other side yeah. of of a conflict like that, you know, and right sort of gives you a lens into their motivations and why they do what they do and stuff like that was right. just cool. And Halo Two well, was maybe, really good at that actually it was yes. it's super good at that yeah yep um so yeah so i like the master chief collection is this sort of awe-inspiring thing on one hand but on the other like the state it's in right now is compromised and i don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to be fixed uh by the time it comes out so like don't take this if you're listening don't take this as gospel because it could change like the day one update that they're saying fixes a bunch of stuff and adds all of the multiplayer except for the co-op which is there already <laughs> like that's not there yet like their day one patch right. is not live yet and that could like right. that could f- magically fix everything and I don't mean magic like it's a lot of fucking work that they're doing right now to QA four games on a new platform yeah. um yeah, in- but if Microsoft can't do it, who can? Including two games that are basically <laughs> running two engines on top of each other at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So crazy shit. There are seven crazy, crazy shit. There are seven Halo engines in this game. <laughs> there are seven different game engines in this game, <laughs> all running at the same time. Well, yeah, and and all running. Well, not necessarily at the same time, but all that have to be accessible from one core interface. Yep. Yeah, you know, and and the ability to hot swap between them because Arthur and Mitch were saying before that you could do things like uh, playlists, yeah, playlists, yeah, like play vehicle missions from all the different Halos. So it has to kind of hot swap between yep. them. It's just so nuts to me that anybody would even try to do this. Which it's... how are those loads <laughs> times? Those load times. Um, they're not terrible. Okay, I say coming from, uh, you know, I mean, granted, it was an alpha. I get that. But the Evolve Alpha had some of the worst next-gen load times I've I've had in any game so far. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> so. that gets uh, fixed. It was like a bit. Uh, the worst part about that, like, uh, was I would spend six minutes waiting to load into a match, or for it to finish loading, and I could start playing, and then I would have a match that would last two minutes, mm-hmm. and then six minutes. Like, that game is definitely going to be a a like I wouldn't say that I feel like the Alpha hurt it because obviously, hopefully, most people realized. That what they're playing is an alpha, though I feel like most people just used it, thought of it as a demo, because sure. that's the way the internet works. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like that game definitely. I hope they take the data they've gathered and really iron some stuff out because if I can't play with five people that I know, it's going to be really hard because the games that I would get into when you were playing with someone who didn't understand the monster because it's the alpha and it's the first time they're doing it, yeah. matches would literally last less than two minutes. Wow. Like, there, was no, <laughs> there was no hunting. The monster right. would get caught by the trapper almost immediately and then we would gun it down and kill it. That happened three <laughs> times in a row. <laughs> like, in, th- in multiple different lobbies. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I even, like, the first time I played the monster, I just spent the entire time running. I never got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm like, got the the idea of this level down and i know all the good hiding spots so it's like there's there's a big learning curve i feel like Mm -hmm. our learning fucking cliff that you got to climb initially before you can like i feel like have a certain level of competency i feel like Mm -hmm. maybe i don't know so that kind of worries me about that i feel like and also if you're playing as the people 
if you don't have a really good trapper, you might as well just surrender <laughs> that you're going to lose. I mean, everybody it's needs like to that. do their fucking job. Everybody needs to do their job, but the trapper especially, because if that person doesn't throw down the dome in the right way, mm. the monster can always get away. Right. So... Well, they, they clearly uh, they they clearly pared it down to the amount of people that they thought that they could and have it still be fun for every player. So yeah, that does mean that everybody has to be doing their job. Yeah, I, I think that that game has a lot of potential. You know, obviously I'm a big Left 4 Dead fan, yes. so I'm hoping that I'm hoping that you know they can get it. The issues kind of ironed out. It just makes me wonder. You know, I'm a little concerned only because the game was supposed to come out this year and then it got delayed and then. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I just hope that they can really. That's a hard dynamic to make fun. One person oh, yeah. versus four. Yep. So, I am. I don't know. Are there, did you play any of the alpha? No, no, Even I so didn't busy. have time. Uh, I was um, writing Advanced Warfare. Yeah, see, I feel like, and I feel like maybe once I try some of the other monsters and stuff like that, I can maybe find one that better suits my place. There is a lot of stuff in that game that we have not seen. Okay. That's what I figured. It's just, I just, I'm just wondering about that just because my initial impressions of the alpha weren't entirely all positive. I was a little underwhelmed at times just because the matches, like you said, it's a, you need you need someone who's badass you, as a monster. When too, did you, you enter the, the alpha? Like how, how many days it had had it been going when you started playing it? Like two. Yeah. Well, there you go. So. I know most people didn't know what they're doing. It's just like, yeah. So I feel no. Like, by the time like, you played, the people playing the alpha knew everything about that fucking game. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, the humans were just kicking the shit out of the monster because the mo- you tell like, I think a lot of people probably don't put that they want to play the monster because they're playing by themselves. So you get someone in here's like, I guess I'm playing monster, and then they're like, bum ba bum. What do I do? Do I try and eat this monster over here? And all of a sudden they're caged and fucking dead. They didn't, they didn't know. I, I just yeah. think I, I, too many players think that they're the monster and they hear that term, the monster. Mm-hmm. And so they get this fucking idea that they have a, you know, a crazy ability to just take it on the chin and murder everyone right off the bat. And they 100% do. But first, like the, they must evolve. Exactly. The monster <laughs> needs to run at first. And, and I feel like that's, People just aren't getting that, it's, at least initially. It's, it's going to be a difficult game to balance, and that is definitely something that they'll have to stay on top of like for the life of that game, because people will yeah. find ways to break it. Yeah. Totally. Um, did you guys play anything else? Nothing I can talk about. Uh, <laughs> the life of a person reviewing video games. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'll have a lot oh, to talk about playing... next week. Nice. A lot. Well, I've just been uh, playing more. I, of course, just can't stop playing Beyond Earth, and uh, I won't. I won't talk in like the stupid, uh, the stupid cryptological sentences that I was talking about last week. <laughs> I understood it, um, but yes, go on. <laughs> uh, I think the some of the things that I've run into are you can see where they had to make compromises on some of the production value, um, like. The one thing that I definitely miss now that I've beaten a couple di- games and had a couple different victory types is that there's no uh, there's no replay like there was in Civ Four and Civ Five where really yeah where you could replay the events and you would see a graph of you know your victory points and your armies and all that stuff at, versus everybody else you'd see a line graph and then you could play a replay of it and it would have a map the map of the overworld and all the hexes on it and it would show like the territories as they expanded, expanded and, and declined and, and, yeah. yeah and people took over everybody and stuff like that 
They don't have that in this game at the at the end point. It's just like you won, and then there's a text box that comes up, and that's it. That's weird. Um, yeah, so I mean, like you run into things like that where it's like, okay, I can. I, it feels like they definitely had to make specific design choices, and I think they probably had a little bit smaller team working on this one, and I think they also concentrated a lot harder on the new systems and making sure that those were balanced well with each other and that they interacted well with each other because you know there's just whole new ways of doing things and the last thing i'll say is that like i really love the stories that i'm able to tell myself (laughs) about my civilization and about the other civilizations as we've been as i've played a couple more games um oh well i guess i do have one more thing (laughs) the uh I, I tried playing on a massive world with like 12 people. And uh, since there aren't like enough world leaders, it repeats the names of the world leaders. And oh, it, that's so it'll weird. say, yeah, and it feels terrible because it'll be like uh, um, LLD, who is the, the world leader for Franco Iberia. Now there's two of her. And it'll say, and it'll just bring up a message and say, you're attacked by, you just got declared war by this person or this person, or, you know, when the other alliances will say like, hey, I want to declare war against so-and-so. And And you're like, well, is that the so-and-so who's right next to me? Or is that the so-and-so who's on the other side of the world? Because there's no color indicator. There's no icon indicator. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know who you mean. So the fact that you're just repeating the names of the other civilizations actually makes anything larger than an eight player game really difficult to play. That's that kind of sucks. It, it, I will say that that sounds like a pretty valid criticism of this compared to like Civ Five and Civ Five because they have the benefit of history to draw upon and actual yeah. nationalities. It's <laughs> yeah. like there's a lot of recognizable sort of nationalities, and a lot of the benefits they have make historical and common sense. Like right. you know, like it, and so it feels like some of that is lost a little bit by kind well, of going it's... into this multinational sort of ideas of peoples. I, I think a little bit of that is lost, but one of the things that's gained is that when you start out a game, you can choose the type of cargo that your civilization has, too. So you can actually customize your start no matter which civilization, quote-unquote, that you choose to run with. Um, so it's instead of being... So, you know, you can play um, as, the, as the Pan-Asian cooperative, and, but you can choose the starting materials which give you a larger area on which to start your first city. Or you can choose the starting materials that let you build a clinic right away in your first city. Um, So it's not so culture dependent depending on what kind of start that you want. Hmm. Um, And I like that a little bit better too because it definitely seemed to me like in the older Civilization games that if you pick India, you pretty much know what kind of game you're going to have, especially in Civ Five. Like, if I'm going to go for a culture win, I'm going to fucking play India because, like, they're ones that are really easy to have a culture win with. And in Beyond Earth, it seems a little bit more tuned toward the idea that, well, let's let people kind of start with whoever they want. And, yes, they have bonuses and minuses depending on them, but it's not so cut and dry because of the way that you can customize your starts. But, yeah, there's, uh, I've definitely run into a few things with that game, but, man, still still loving it, still crazy addicted, still can't go to bed on time. Hmm. Well, that speaks like- well to it, despite limitations currently. Yep, yep. And I'm sure they'll expand it, just like the other ones do. Or at least I hope they have a good enough response and they got enough income from it that they're planning expansions, because, man, this game could really do some awesome shit. One that like, I sort of blew up in my head is that like, if I had the unlimited free time where I could do a mod for this game, I would totally do one where like, uh, you could land on a gas planet 
and it has like uh, it's all technology and territory based around being on like a gas giant stuff like mm-hmm. that cool um, anyway yeah uh, maybe we've talked uh, Blah. Don't sound too burnt out. You got so many hot video games to play. Yeah, <laughs> so many hot things to write about and do. Um, um, do we have letters? We do have a few letters. Do you want to just go straight to them? Yeah, sure. We can go straight to them. You know, do it. Okay. Do it. Our first letter from Chris is. Look at that! You had it queued up and everything. He says, <laughs> "Fucking man, will, Anthony." Chris says. When will actual gameplay look like the Halo 2 anniversary cutscenes? He says, is this even possible a generation or two from now? Does it just cost too much money to have artists creating that much detail? Well, think about, like, uh, God, I imagine, like, taking not even, like, the late Gears of War, but, like, the very first Gears of War back to my, like, I don't know, 10-year-old self when I was playing Atari games. (laughs) And like showing them Gears of War, and I would think that you we had already gotten there. It's all a matter of perspective, and it gets faster and faster. So the short answer to that is yes, it's inevitable. Yeah, I mean, I I, I have this very distinct memory of like I think it was probably an EGM or very early Game Informer, being in very young and and reading about this article about this Halo game that was coming out, and <laughs> it just had like a picture of like a red and a per- blue Spartan standing against a it wall. Amazing. With a a bullet decals behind them, and I thought, "There's no way like those fucking characters are real. Like that is that is, fake. you know." So, so yeah, I think Matt's right. You know, I, my, part of me wants to say it'll never get that good. It's just too crazy. But at the Holy same well. time, I've you know every generation that com- that's come out for a long time has always blown me away. Yeah. So, IGN.com. <laughs> <laughs> and they figure out better they figure out better ways to do the things that give you the higher level of detail, you know, like um the bump mapping and normal mapping that they're able to do. So it used to be that if you wanted to have a model that was like as high detailed as the models that you see in video games today, the only way to do it would be to actual sculpt them vertice vertice by vertice, vertex by vertex, polygon by polygon, all of the layer detail. And now they can take a program like ZBrush, which lets you do kind of 3D sculpting in a virtual environment, and apply that to a low polygon model, and then the, the computer just knows to bounce light rays based off it that make it look like it has that level of detail instead. Yeah, there's and, a lot of automation that occurs now that couldn't even occur five years ago. Yeah, so. exactly. And, you know, like, people are going to constantly figure be figuring out better and more efficient ways to add more details like there's that company speed tree you've probably seen their logos in video games if you've ever every i mean it's in call of duty i believe yeah it's in every single fucking game because what it does is it allows you to just take a library of vegetation and lay it down like a paintbrush and and like every game uses that shit skyrim uh and morrowind or maybe yeah i think skyrim and morrowind were some of the first one i think Oblivion. Oblivion. The bottom line is that painting, if you had to paint foliage and stuff like that, asset, painting is awesome. Placing it asset by asset, you're like, that's why back in the day, instead of them making a forest, they're like, we'll just put up a card with forest, with like a flat card with trees painted on it, you know? (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, I think that there are games coming out this fall whose standard, like, gameplay visuals. Uh, meet or exceed CG from a few years ago. Like, yeah. if you look at uh, Assassin's Creed Unity gameplay against a, 
like CG from Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. I think that nah. Unity might actually compare more favorably uh, wow. than negatively yep. to that in many situations. So yeah, and, and I mean, if in just if we want to apply like history to stuff too, it's like go back and watch like really fucking incredible PS One uh, cinematics that were like right. crazy, crazy, really, really high poly for then back. Like Final uh, Fantasy character, VII. character models, yes, exactly. Or like, or like the first Legacy of Kane game mm-hmm. had pretty mm-hmm. like like really high poly, like you know, crazy. Or the first Diablo on P- PS. Yeah, yeah Blizzard PS1. cinematics from it's like, like that. It's era. like go look at those, and now games vastly exceed exceed those. Yeah, you know, so it's like I definitely think that it will happen at some point, yep. probably within the next ten years. Oh yeah, like, we're it's definitely in, maybe the next generation I, or something. In like everybody's that. lifetime who's listening to generation this, or two, Arthur, twenty. Years. I mean, like, assume we don't all kill pre-rendered is always going to be ahead of. of oh, it'll real it'll time. it'll always, always be ahead, but like. Oh, I'm not but, saying but that but it will look was, as look as good as cutscenes now. That's all. Yeah, that that was the question. Is like, will real time ever look as good as cutscenes now? And yes, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. It'll be a while before they look like the blur CG in Halo Two Anniversary. <laughs> It'll be yeah. a while. Yeah, um, but a while in like, you know, five years, not like a while as in like a generation. I think a while so, as in like a decade. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, the ne- And the next letter is also from a Christopher. Oh. Okay. Uh, but he's a full Christopher. The other was just Chris. And he Wait. says, I'm on the fence about parting with some of my older video game collection. I have a slight anxiety about getting rid of them. But I feel weighed down. It doesn't bother my wife since she has her own collection of toys from the 80s. But I can't seem to justify keeping things I'm not using just for the sake of having them. So should I try and sell the systems and games together as bundles or piece them out? I'll have both common and some well-desired games. Uh, Where would be the best place to sell them? eBay. By yourself, one at a time. That's how you'll get the most money for them. And he also says, uh, will I feel better once I start to get rid of this? I seem... You won't. So, oh, I totally do. Uh, I think you'll yeah, feel. It just, it just depends. You'll feel better like having less stuff generally, but I think that like you're not going to be like, man, I'm so glad I got rid of this stuff. Yeah, I still think that like you know he has like a Sega Saturn and stuff oh, like man. that. Like, there's some part of you that's going to miss it for sure. Yeah. Just because the idea that like it'll be harder to come by one, or at least if you, it's not that hard. But if you want to come by one, then you'll have to be the dude going on eBay. You know. Like <laughs> also, that. you won't get but, much for a Saturn. Like there are a lot of those on. That's eBay. what I'm saying. So this is what he has. He has a Saturn, a PS2, a Dreamcast, a Wii, and a PS3. You're not gonna get shit. All for of any which of those. are all no, those massively not. common systems. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, so I mean, like I would, I would hang on. Uh, if you have the storage space, I would hang on to the systems and hang on to the rarest games and get rid of everything else, or yeah. or the games that have the most sentimental value to you and get rid of everything else. Yeah, I got rid of all my old shit, but I did keep, like I got rid of all my old stuff, but I did keep a couple. Like I got rid of all my old PS2 game cases, for instance, mm. you know, and kept yeah. just the discs. Like even yeah. cutting down on stuff like that, like game cases themselves and putting games in binders. Mm-hmm. Saves so much fucking space. <laughs> like, basically, as each generation f- falls away, I have to yeah. leave shelf space for the current generation of game cases and fucking get rid of everything else. Because yep. I'm not f- fully ready to go fully digital just yet. But uh, not until I have an interconnection like Arthur does. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Not until fiber is actually <laughs> to the home and affordable nationwide. But, man, I, yeah, as someone who went through all that, I'm a big fan of getting rid of shit. Just, Me too. Just dump it. Um, 
So. Yeah, if you want the most value out of it, though, you will have to do it one at a time. Um, I think I'm going to, I'll read this one. It's from Matt. And he says, uh, not me. He says, I don't think I'll be able to get a PS4 this Christmas because it would be a little too expensive. However, Same. I do think, I do think I could get a DS, which I'm pretty positive he means a 3DS. He yeah. says, I realize how far I am behind on the party, but is it still worth getting into? I like lots of different games, but I've never had a handheld console. And so I feel people like people love their 3DSs. There's a lot. There's enough games out there that I feel like yeah. you justify the purchase, especially with the new one coming out. But the I problem guess. is the new one will ha- support games that the current one doesn't. Uh, um, so and not vice versa, yeah. at all. Um, so maybe it would be worth waiting to get one of those if that's feasible. I don't know. How much do we know? How no, much the new one's going to be? I don't be? think so. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like th- there are enough games out on 3DS that it, on my 3DS, I've probably put like 100 hours in it over the years or more. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's enough great games out. And it plays DS games as well. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. it's like you can still go back and play all those old games and probably find them for like a dollar at this point. <laughs> yeah. I would say, yeah, if you, if you, what, 3DS could be a great little like gaming device, especially if you've never really gotten into handheld gaming. I never really did either. Until someone got me the Game Boy SP, Game Boy Advanced mm, SP. That's a good one. And then I was like, yeah, I was totally and stoked. Like, I had never had a Game Boy. Yeah, then I just <laughs> wanted handhelds. I just thought it was so cool to be able to take games with me. Yeah, so. definitely. I, I like handhelds. I don't have any currently, well, except for my old DS that's sitting beside my bed that I don't really play. But um, I love them, too. I mean, like, I love the concept of it, and I love having them. Uh, the next question is from... T. Van Cease, and he says, much like the mundane job of border security, aka papers please, what other <laughs> mundane work might make a successful or at least interesting game? <laughs> and I was just thinking, and the reason I thought about this question is because dude, it seems like every time I click Steam lately, and <laughs> I go to the featured game. release, yes, currently <laughs> the top of the popular new releases is a game just called Logistics Company. That's all it is. It is a logistics simulator. As a dock worker in logistics company, it's up to you to move thousands of tons of cargo and goods and make sure they're shipped. So it's like, there's a, I mean, if you want to try that shit out, you know, there's a whole fucking slew of games out there that you could try. But be warned, as you, if you saw our live stream, sometimes they are complete dog shit. Or just but, totally yeah. broken. Um, or totally broken. Yeah. Like, they seem like, those seem like, risk of potentially being fun or a complete shovelware like yep. they could go either way but well, it's they, funny they, papers please no, though succeeded because of its personality rather than yeah. the actual act of the job um yeah so like there another one that w- had a lot of buzz was cart life but that game disappeared like i don't know yeah. that you can get that game anymore weird oh there also was a god what was it it's about running a store and it's done in like rpg maker but it has a really uh I don't know. It's I like a, <laughs> it's I like a wave it's of games that's like training people to do shit, like the last Starfighter, <laughs> but on the really boring spectrum of that, on the really boring end of the spectrum. Capitalism. Instead of some, yeah. Instead of somebody like coming down from an alien race and saying you're now qualified to to pilot our most advanced starship in history and fight off the alien race it's like you are now qualified to run a spreadsheet into the shipping company. Here, wash a toilet. So, <laughs> another game, the game I was thinking of, if another game that turns out a sort of benign thing is this game called uh, 
It's called Reseteer. It's R-E-C-E-T-T-E-A-R. Mm-hmm. And it's on Steam. And what it is is you're the item shop that sells stuff to adventurers in a turn-based RPG. Like, they all come in <laughs> and buy shit, awesome. and you're just running the store to make sure it has all the dumb shit they need. And, <laughs> That's a great concept. Yeah, and, and it's it, everybody's always told me it's really amazing. So it is another one of those games that turns, like, a fucking total mundane, <laughs> yeah. you know, side part of a game into, like, that's you're the guy that or gal that does it. That so. sounds, like, much more towards uh, Matt's question about, like, a game that's kind of like Papers, Please, where it has a mundane thing with a really cool kind of way of doing it. I like that a lot. What was the one that we played on the live stream? It was the the Russian like big big truck driving. Uh, like mud mud spinner or wheels mud mud tires. Spin I don't know. tires. Spin, Spin tires. tires. Thank oh, you. Oh god, Thank. that game. That was like that nearly put me to sleep, and we weren't even that far into the live stream. Yeah, no. Spin tires was only semi interesting to play. That is just like. I mean, that game's like got the nichest of the most niche audiences. Like the <laughs> same people that are like. I can't wait to install this part of my truck so I can drive through 24-inch puddles of water. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and it's not, just, it's not just big trucks. It's big Russian trucks. And not just big Russian trucks, but big Russian trucks like out in the Siberian wasteland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to like carve their own path down these roads that like no other trucks can go. And it's like, it's, yeah, it, it's like the nichest of niche things. And like, Dude, I, it, But it did make me think after we'd been playing it, I was like, huh. I guess that makes sense because the Siberian forest covers like the it's the most expansive. Uh, I don't know it. It's the it's the widest swath of forested land on the Earth, yeah. and like the and you would have and it's uh, much of it is not paved and not civilized. And if you were to go out there for any kind of trucking or mining or whatever, you would have to have. The, the craziest vehicles would have to exist out there over just about anywhere else in the world. So it kind of makes sense from that perspective. But, man, it was... <laughs> other than having some, like, really crazy mud physics, <laughs> it was like, if this Dude, is that... what driving these things is really like, <laughs> God. Yeah, that game made me feel like uh, Sisyphus, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, just... just how, I'm going to fucking roll a ball uphill and only have to roll it uphill, except the ball is... How can I just get my tire to move two inches in a mud pit? It was <laughs> that game was something, all right. Um, we, our, this question is from Adam, and he's, uh, you know, it's interesting. He, he has a web address that's at prodigy.net. I don't even know what that is, but I feel like that's like an Whoa, old ass web service. Prodigy, yeah. yeah, Prodigy was Prodigy and AOL and CompuServe. They were all competing internet. Uh, providers well not even internet providers they were content providers that you logged into directly it's not like they went to other websites well there you go adam writes to us from 1995 and uh he says he says uh around he says a while ago you know um he says arthur tweeted something like uh you know he wondered what the last big game nintendo puts out before the wii u is quote dead in regards to that is there any game you think that could keep the wii u alive Everyone knows it will never be considered successful seeing the comparison to Xbox One and PS4. But is there a game that could at least help prolong the cycle of the It system? would have been Mario Kart. It yeah. would have been. I think Mario Kart on Mario Wii K- sold, what, like 20 million copies? Wow. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I guess like my only answer to that is just keep releasing more Mario and Zelda games, which they always do. Yeah. It's their, it's their only option. I don't option. think 3D World sold very well. I mean, maybe Smash Bros. Maybe Smash Bros. But I feel like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. 
Um, I think that Mario Kart sold more on Wii than Smash Brothers sold on 3DS, but I could be totally wrong about that. You're totally wrong about that. I'm just going to say it now, so we've covered all our bases. I'm checking to see how many copies Mario Kart Wii sold. Um, 96 million. Probably not. Oh, um, my God. How many? Uh, more than Grand Theft Auto Five. Wow. 35.53 million copies. Of, God of, damn. Of, of Mario Wii. Kart? We. Not Wii U. We. Yeah, 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 I'm just saying. Not of all Mario Karts. Yeah, we. It's funny. I never bought I never bought that one. Well, well you and like one out of three. One out of like 2.5 Wii owners bought Mario Kart Wii. <laughs> well, I don't even know where my Wii is. In hell where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> mine's, mine's sitting in a box. Uh, I wonder. Um, I wonder if. Uh, I wonder what that number compares like to. How many people bought the balance board? Um. And we fit. Um, we so fit was twenty two point six seven million. We fit plus is twenty one point oh three. Wow. Damn girl. Um, Smash yeah, Brothers Brawl like... by comparison sold twelve point fourteen million. Ah, uh, see that That's proves still right a crazy there that success. It's That's true, but it just proves that it Mario just Kart. it I just know. proves that Smash Bros is a sort of a niche thing, you know. So that may not be what saves the I Wii U because <laughs> I don't know that I would call it a niche thing, but I don't think that that's what's going to save the Wii. Not a niche thing, but I'm saying a niche, more niche than the wider Wii audience. You know what I mean? It is like it is very much a subset of like more it's traditional. A subset of the uh, yes, yeah, a subset of the Wii audience as right. a whole. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um. So our last question comes to us from Yair. Who writes to us from Israel. And, uh, what up, Israel? And he says, For the past couple of years, people have been down and angry about the idea content supposedly cut out of the final product for more money as DLC. He says, I usually don't care because I judge every piece of content on its own value, but Nintendo seems to get a pass. He says, They basically have been splitting the content of the Pokemon games into two versions for years, so you have to buy two copies to get everything. <laughs> Yet I haven't heard any word of criticism about this. Imagine having to buy two copies of Super Smash Brothers just to unlock all the characters. You just or, gave someone at Nintendo <laughs> the biggest boner. Or in Need for Speed just to get all the cars. He says, what are your guys' thoughts uh, on this? I think you can trade it's because it, Pokemon between games, can't you? And, uh, and I, I, I was going to so. say that was part of the idea is that it was supposed to increase the trading economy because the audience that they were selling to primarily was a younger audience who they would run into each other on the school ground and they could be and you would have a group of friends that could get the different games and then trade back and forth so in that sense it was almost like it was almost a little bit more like a a, a baseball card mentality than it was like i like know, that i like the encouraging of the social aspect of it but i do yeah. agree i do it, agree it, that like the many things with most games it nintendo does, does get a pass yeah, Nintendo so. does get a pass in that regard, but I think the design of Pokemon kind of makes it relevant and possible without you needing to be too critical of it. Whereas, like, if you had to buy, like, two copies of Forza or Gran Turismo to get all the cars, you know, you'd just be like, well, this is bullshit. Mm. It's, I think, because the game isn't designed around some kind of trading aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um... 
I don't know. Don't, don't I, get me I, wrong. You're you're still psychologically manipulating young minds into buying more more toys I, and shit than they possibly should. But that's the whole toy industry. Right. It's more manipulating yeah, I mean, people I mean, to play with each other, which sells more copies, which is a much more benign sort of thing than. I mean, I yeah. I would say Nintendo's not the only one who gets a pass, obviously, because. It's just a business model thing, really, because Skylanders or Mm -hmm. Disney Infinity, I mean, they lock out. You can't play. You can't even play with, like, for instance, I bought two of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I can't Mm -hmm. play with them in the campaign. I can only play with them in one part of the game called Toy Box. If I want to play with them in a campaign, I have to additionally buy the Guardians of the Galaxy campaign. So it's like (laughs) they very much are. They content gate all over the place, you know, so it's like. I, I guess that stuff works with younger audiences a lot. Yeah. It works with older audiences too, but you have to, I think, be a little bit more subtle about it and make the older audience feel like they're getting it enough for free to make spending their money worth time, worth the time. Yeah. I don't know. They do get a free pass, but that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I feel like people give Nintendo. I have free pass all the time. So I feel like we don't a lot of times, but I feel like in general, like even today, uh, you know, we're obviously when you're hearing this, we recorded a little bit in the past. But mm. I was watching that Nintendo Direct, and I was like, dude, half the shit that Nintendo puts up is the type of news stories we would just make fun of if it was anyone else. <laughs> you know, like guess what? We're announcing a release window for something that you probably don't care about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and like the big thing today was they announced a 3DS version of a 10-year-old game of a 14-year-old yes, game. Story. Yeah. What what Majora's Mask? Majora's Mask. Uh, and there's like crazy special editions and shit like that, so. Yeah. I don't really care. Yeah, they, they do get a pass a lot of the times. And you know, people do raise a stink about, you know, like, oh, well how come my digital downloads, why do I have to buy them again on every single time you release a new system? I have to buy them again, even though it's the same game. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But now you've wasted a chunk of your life listening to us babble at your face. Hopefully you've been doing something interesting. <laughs> That's what I usually do when I listen to podcasts. Yeah, me too. I, I've uh, recently been listening to Star Talk Radio from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, Fuck. Nice. Fucking, it is an awesome show and you know what makes it so great is he answers all these crazy fucking astrophysics questions and he always pairs himself with a comedian so and 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 <laughs> nice. and, and uh he's often paired with um uh, eugene merman who's the the son from bob's burgers and oh, who sounds who sounds just like he does on bob's burgers in real life <laughs> so it's bob's burger's son asking uh. all these astrophysics <laughs> questions Oh, that's For anybody fun. that watched last week, tonight, this week, H. John Benjamin was on a fucking amazing sketch on that show this week. Uh-huh. Who is the who is Bob on Bob's Burgers? Also, Archer. That's awesome. Uh, and <coughs> you, and if and uh, while we're recommending, I'll recommend two other little pieces of pop culture shit for you guys. One is that video games the movie is out on Netflix. The one that was like put up by like partially funded by Zach Brack, Zach Braff, and Cliff Bozinski. And it's like, and it's narrated by Sean Astin. Sorry. Yeah, it's good. It's it's pretty fun. It's like a fun documentary, um, and I feel like uh, that was pretty cool. And then the other one I would say is if you want a good book recommendation, uh, fucking Bill Nye, the Science Guy's book, Undeniable, just came out <laughs> this week. Hmm, nice. So it talks about sort of uh, modern science about evolutionary stuff. Obviously, it was inspired to him after his debate 
that he had earlier in the year. So just ex- yeah, just yeah. to better explain the science in a way that a debate can't really get across. You know what I sure. mean? Like debates are often such a matter of of passion rather than facts. You know what yeah. I mean? And I mean, so the, yeah, the the ethos and the ethos pathos logos trifecta of a debate makes a lot of things more important than facts. Exactly. I mean, it's like if you go and learn about the history of even like the Scopes Monkey trial, mm-hmm. if if like that, you know, originally that dude lost that, you know, and, and I didn't reason, know that. Yeah, it was lost and then had to go to federal court and get overturned. Mm-hmm. But it, and, and they knew that the, a lot of the reasons it was lost and stuff was because the guy defending, you know, creation and stuff like that. Creationist ideas, just a fucking amazing speaker could knock the yeah. room off, on its ass, you know. <laughs> yeah. So so it's just like it just shows you. But so this is Bill Nye really doing a great fun job like he's always done as an entertainer explaining cool. the science of it really cool um very cool but yeah you guys should write us letters about video games you can do that like these other people did to letters at eat-leap-game.com you can find us all on twitter i'm at chuff money i also do some twitch streaming at twitch.tv slash chuff money um you can find arthur at a-e-g-i-e-s on twitter and you can see the work of all the reviews he's doing including uh reviews of games like the master chief collection and assassin's creed unity that will be going up on polygon.com and you can find uh the stuff that matt's doing matt is talking a talking orange on twitter and he is talking orange i don't know why i messed that up (laughs) because you've only said it 235 times yeah matt is talking orange on twitter (laughs) and you can if you go to area5.tv that's the site for their company which you should hire and give them all the works or you can go to follow Outerlands Doc on Twitter to find out more about the documentary series they're making about video games and to find out how to become a slacker backer and, you know, get in and get yourselves a copy of the documentary series when it comes out. Yep. So, For reals. Um, and then, yeah. And then Mitch is at MitchyD on Twitter. We'll give his ghost a shout out. <laughs> so, but um, he's dead. Sorry. But yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Uh, you guys are all really great, and we all appreciate you. So now go forth into this world and fucking <laughs> cure someone's ignorance. Of Jesus, something. don't, don't, just don't. <laughs> go forth and don't be a fucking pain in people's asses. <laughs> no, I didn't say you had to be a dick about it. You could just yeah, just you know, wander in. Do us a favor and wander into someone's conversation and tell them how sit, wrong sit. they are. My my uh, my best advice for you, if you want to know how to do this correctly, is sit on a street corner with a very provocative sign and yell at them about why they're wrong. But but really, jump in front of them when they're yeah. walking, especially if they're a woman. Uh, they love that. that always, yeah, you have to be as thrim- really well. threatening and as intimidating as possible to get your point across. <laughs> don't let them say no. Damn it. Obviously, we're kidding about all that. Just don't be an asshole. Just uh, there you go. That's that's all we want you to do. You know, so you might have that moment where you're like, I want to say something to this person. Don't. And just, just think, don't. am I about to be an asshole? Yeah, no, up. if you want to say something to a person, just don't. <laughs> am I going to be an asshole if I say this? Yeah. God. If you, if you have to question whether or not it's going to be an asshole thing to say, then it's going to be an asshole thing to say. So don't say Yeah. Yeah. All right. And with that, we're done. <laughs>